sorry, I did it before you were ready. Right. You want to take that now? All right, God, we just thank you so much for your faithfulness to be here tonight. Um, God, that you've already prepared a way in our heart for us to be surrendered, to trust in you for your truth. So I just pray that, um, yeah, that you just bless Anthony with your words, with your wisdom. So as he's preaching tonight, that it, it doesn't fall on deaf ears, but we actually get to hear from you. We get to hear your truth, which is sustaining for us. It's fulfillment for us. So I just thank you for the anointing that's on Pastor Anthony as he preaches tonight. And God, I thank you for the tithes and offerings that not only will people themselves be blessed, but this church will be blessed in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good evening. How are you guys doing? Good. Awesome. Fantastic. Can we get a woo? That's amazing. All right, guys, we're in the truth half of the year. We did a grace half and a truth half. So if you missed the grace half, the fun is over. <laughs> so <laughs> we're jumping right in. We're doing a series. Basically, it's an apologetics-type series. Today's going to be a little bit of a thematic departure-ish. You'll kind of get it at the end. But today, we're talking about creation. My big red-headed brother, you are too large to be standing in front. Thank you so much. It's those giant shoulders, man. I could never read my slides. We're going to talk about creation. I want to start in a specific way with some cool facts. Some of you may know where I'm going. Does anyone know what this is? A tree. That's a tree. Is it just a normal tree? No. no. That is a fossilized tree. Upright. And it's huge. And you may notice it is going through millions and millions of years of rock sediment. So here we have a very old stone tree, right? Not so much. That guy standing next to it gives you some scope about how big it is. The term for these are polystrate fossils. Fossils that inexplicably, guys, go through millions of years of rock vertically. And, right, it's crazy. And they are all over the world. You can find them in Europe. You can find them here. This one's from Tennessee. And to just make things more interesting, its roots are in a coal seam. Wow. How about that? So normally, it's like inside coal. Coal like, takes a while to form, supposedly. So anyway, this is very curious, right? So scientists have decided that these rock layers still take millions and millions of years to form, just not these rock layers. So all over the world, you can rest assured that whenever you find a tree in millions of years of rock, those particular rock layers formed really, really quickly, but all the other ones took millions and millions of years, okay? We know that because they don't have trees in them, all right? Just, just to be sure. So speaking of coal, coal seam, and carbon, we know about diamonds, right? Diamonds take a long time to form, don't they? How come we can make them? Huh? So I, I heard an interview one time, they're not fake, they're actually real diamonds, we, they make carbon and they press it into a diamond. It's true. And so there was a, a creationist who was talking to an, an atheist, and the atheist said, well, yeah, we can make diamonds. And the guy said, well, how come if they take millions of years? And he says, well, when we make them, the conditions are just right. So, guys, check it out. The diamonds we make happen really quick, but all the other ones take millions and millions of years, okay? Science. All right, moving on. Does anyone know that stalactites and stalagmites take millions and millions and hundreds of thousands of years to form? Except this one, which was featured in 1953 National Geographic, that a bat died on. And then got covered so quickly it didn't even have time to decompose. Whoa. They've put up signs 
like, please do not break off the stalactites, and the signs started growing stalactites. Which is <laughs> embarrassing if you want to say that these things take forever to form. I actually hopped on a forum that was like some sort of atheist or doubters or skeptics forum, and they were like, is this legit? And they were all like, yeah, we don't really know. And one guy was like, yeah, guys, actually, I've worked in the park service. This is in the Carlsbad Caverns. That's really bad in there. I have no idea what's going on. So, interesting. So here's the thing, okay? Stalactites and stalagmites take thousands or millions of years to form unless they have a dead bat on them. <laughs> those, all those happen real quickly, okay? And then I just want to throw this out there. This is from an older New York Times article. But the title is Whale Fossils. Somebody say, Whale Fossils. Whale Fossils. High in Andes show how mountains rose from the sea. Here's a quote from the New York Times article. Scientists have found fossils of whales and other marine animals in mountain sediment in the Andes, indicating that the South American mountain chain rose very rapidly from the sea. So here's what we know. Mountains, okay, take millions and millions of years to form unless they have freaking whale fossils on them. Those mountains formed really quick, but all the other ones took millions of years. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'm talking about young earth creationism. Who knows some young earthers, right? It's really trendy now to like scoff at those people and be like, oh, they hate science and their attitude. We don't like them, young earth people. Do you know why people believe in young earth creationism besides the fact that they actually have arguments for it? They believe it because they take the Bible seriously. We should take the Bible seriously. Huh? That's right. Young Earth creationists also understand that, and Ken Ham pointed this out to me. Any Ken Ham, Ken Ham people in here? I enjoyed Ken Ham back in the day a lot. He, and he's like, I can't do his accent. He's like, if you attack the foundations, the whole thing will fall down. You know, you gotta put on your biblical glasses. He said that all the time, too. So they understand that things are built on foundations, right? So they're like, well, what's the foundation? Let's check out the beginning of the book. Oh, it looks like the foundation is six literal days of creation. And that's his lens. He's totally open about this by looking at the world and like seeing, like, okay, I believe the Bible, I take that seriously. So what would we expect to see? He's like, well, if there's really a global flood, we expect to see millions of dead things buried in sediment all over the world. That's funny. That's exactly what we see. You know? It's like, so it just makes sense when you listen to them. So this gets them in trouble. This gets them in trouble with science. Science has defined itself to not include weirdos who believe in this kind of stuff, right? Uh, Pastor Jimmy, Pastor Jimmy fans, he's pretty cool. He bought me a book, which is like a sign of grow love. <laughs> and uh, that book is actually called Total Truth by a lady named Nancy Piercy. I haven't finished it, but it's pretty cool. And she says this, Today, a naturalistic definition of science is taught as unquestioned dogma throughout the public education system. Naturalistic means if you can see it, it's real, and if you can't, it doesn't exist. Right? So it rules out any sort of spiritual reality at all. Okay? So he then gives a quote from a high school textbook that says this, 
Many people believe that a supernatural force or deity created life. That explanation is not within the scope of science. So if you believe in a creator or, or intelligent design or something like that, that is ruled out of science from the get-go by the scientists. And to see this in action, I, I actually was surprised to see it so openly displayed, but it is, it's everywhere. Uh, there are these things called polonium halos. Is it real? Is it not? I don't know. But polonium is real, and polonium is a radioactive material that has a half-life, so it decays for anywhere from milliseconds to a couple days. So it's like there and gone, like right now. And this guy named Gentry found halos in granite that looks like the polonium was in the granite and decayed and left radiation damage in granite. But doesn't granite take millions of years to make? Well, then how in the world does something that has a half-life of like milliseconds to a couple days get in there and degrade and leave a scar in the rock? So is, is that really what happened or not? I don't know. I'm actually not going to debate that. But I am going to show you a response to that theory from a naturalist scientist. This is a good scientist's response. I'm not going to read this whole thing. I'm just going to read the last half, but it's all worth your time. This is where most creationist arguments break down. Geez, where does the argument break down? He actually doesn't say it. They break down when they try to adopt the language and trappings of science. Trying to prove a religious premise is itself an act of faith, not science. He dismisses this guy's whole premise because he believes in a creator. Gentry believes that he could have stumbled upon primordial original rock that was created with polonium in it, which would explain why the polonium decayed and left a scar in the rock. So this guy attacks his, his worldview and says it can't be science because he believes in a creator. Is that pretty twisted? That's pretty twisted. But this is the climate, and it's trendy and it's fashionable to make fun of young earth creationists because they always wear their biblical glasses, like Cunningham said. But we should take the Bible seriously. So let's ask the question. Young earth creationism. Could we be wrong? Yeah, we could. Sorry. You didn't expect that, did you? Aha! The twist comes. So I opened this way because we dare not mock people who take the Bible seriously. And they have good arguments for what they think. I was talking about this message with my mom the other day, and I was like, you know, I just don't think it's saying six literal days. I've amended that slightly. It could very well be saying six literal days, but do you have to believe that? Is this a 6,000-year-old hill that you must die on? And my argument is going to be no. So let's dive into why. Oh, I do want to mention this. This is worth our time. Some people say that Genesis 1 to 3 is not literal. Okay? And so the people who believe in the young earth theory will go here. They'll go to Exodus 20 a lot of times. I just heard a preacher I was listening to do this. And they'll say, are the Ten Commandments literal? And then you're supposed to say, yes, absolutely, because they are. Well, when God is talking about the Sabbath, he says this. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Must be a literal six days, right? Because it's in a passage, it's meant to be taken literally. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. I'm going to address this specifically, not to attack young earth people. Have you guys gotten a hint that I actually like that kind of thing? 
I have a lot of books on it. I really do. I'm just saying we don't need to fight each other over this. Because the Bible also makes it clear that God does not relate to time like we do. Amen. There's a famous verse in, in the New Testament, 2 Peter 3.8, where Peter is encouraging people that are being persecuted. And Jesus is supposed to be coming back, like, right now. And Peter is trying to explain to them that he's not late, right? And he says this, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Do we then have to say, okay, a day is actually exactly a thousand years for God? No, because if you go into the Old Testament in Psalm 94, it makes it clear that they're just trying to say he, he doesn't exist in time like we do. It's just, they just picked an irrelevantly large number. Check this out. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. A watch in the night is just a couple hours. I don't believe that God relates to time like we do. And I think the Bible teaches that. So if you are a young earth creationist, and you have memorized all the arguments, and you know that they're good arguments, because some of them really are, man. We have trees going through like millions, quote-unquote millions of years of sediment. That is enough to make you go, hmm, okay? And if that doesn't do it, the whales should. <laughs> all right? Just saying. But we have to have a measure of humility with what we think because of things like this. Is that fair? Okay, so let's re-ask the question. Creationism, could we be wrong? And to this, I'm going to say, not a chance. No way, all right? Now, if this was a scholarly format or something, which, praise the Lord, I am not a scholar, nor am I obligated to be, I would have to talk in, like, probabilities, right? Like, well, the probability of life naturally arising is very, very low. It's, it's prohibitively small. I don't have to do that. I can just speak English, right? Not a chance, okay? And I'm actually not going to debate that today. There are so many good books you can get on it. Uh, the Case for the Creator by Lee Strobel is a great place to start. Uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, which I always talk about. It's fantastic. But seriously, guys, science rules out any spiritual stuff at all. Check it out. Here's the unscientific view. The unscientific view of reality is that a universe that exists and demonstrates obvious signs of design was created by a designer. But that's the unscientific view. When you boil it down, here is the scientific view. Something can come from nothing, life spontaneously arose, and improved continuously for no reason. That's the scientific view. I will go with unscientific for a thousand Alex. Amen. Okay. So, we're not really going to debate that. Stuff has to come from somewhere. That's just the way it is. Things were created. Things were designed. So many good books. If you want one, talk to me later. But for the rest of the message, I want to talk about different things that we may not see in Genesis if we are only hung up on whether or not it was six literal days. If you are a young earth creationist, bless you. I am not telling you not to be. But if you haven't seen these things before, I would like to add this to your, to your repertoire. Is that fair? Excellent. Here we go. Genesis 1, 1 to 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What 
did the first audience just hear? Hmm. Not us. Excuse me. What did the people who the book was written to, what, did, what would stick out to them in what we just said? Is it in the beginning? You know, well, probably not. Is it that God created everything? Yeah, that would absolutely fit, right? But they were used to creation myths, so they expected that. Would it be that there was an earth already? Where in the world did that come from? And it was formless and void? When was that created? Would they argue about that? Probably not. Would they argue about the fact that there seems to be water? Probably not. But you know what would stick out? Is that the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the deep. That, everyone listening would have been like, what did you just say? Pause. Rewind. It, the Spirit of God was there and it was hovering over the deep. And that would have been the moment where they realized they were in for something completely new. Because so many ancient cultures, that I'll just read the quote. Different creation myths have some elements in common. This is uh, from, is that from Wikipedia? Totally is. Shameless. <laughs> this is talking about Egyptian creation myths. The different creation myths, oh, oh, they're not all Wikipedia, guys. Give me some grace. When it's good, it's good. They all have some elements in common. They all held that the world had arisen out of the lifeless waters of chaos. There's another more scholarly article by Morgan Smith called Cosmic Oceans, the Primordial Waters of Ancient Creation Myths. While creation myths exhibit a great variation and often echo the prevailing psychology of their respective peoples, there is one critical motif that remains relatively common to a range of broadly dispersed ancient cultures. Check this out. From Mexico and Peru to Egypt and Samaria, the primeval waters. All of these ancient creation myths went something like this. In the beginning, there was the chaos water. Right? And you're supposed to go, ooh. And out of the waters arose. Out of the waters arose the first God. In Egypt, it was Ptah or, or some other ones. They kind of changed the names around. But the first God came out of the water. And then he made other gods, and the other gods with him made all the stuff. But it is absolutely mind-blowingly huge that Yahweh didn't come from anywhere. He was just there. And he didn't come out of the water. He was above it. We would read right past that. I mean, if you didn't know anything about ancient culture, why wouldn't you read right past that, right? But praise the Lord, there's some real nerds that devote their lives to studying this stuff. And they've translated ancient languages. And now we know this is the biggest deal in the world, man. Yahweh has no beginning. Everything that is came from him. Not out of this weird, mysterious water. So that's the first thing we need to take away from Genesis. Okay? Let's go back. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then there's a gap. I'm trolling, tro I'm sorry. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. Certainly, you guys have read this, and you said, okay, if he's about to create all the stuff, how come there's stuff there? Right? And I'm going to tell you that in the worldview of the people who are reading this, this stuff is not stuff. I know, it's crazy. It's weird. I, I had to study this for a while, but I love it. This is from John Walton's Ancient Near Eastern Thought in the Bible. In the ancient world, something came into existence when it was separated. Somebody say separated. Separated, separated out as a distinct entity given a function and given a name. Wow. 
if it ha didn't have those attributes, it didn't exist. That means you can have non-existent entities. If it's a place that's just chaotic, if it isn't separated out, if it's not distinct, if it doesn't have a purpose, if it hasn't been given a name, it isn't, even though it is. And you can go to places like this and you can see them. And in the ancient world, they were horrifying. This is where the demons and the chaos monsters still lived because they were non-existent realities. And they found these places in the deserts, arid, lifeless wastes, and the ocean. The ocean was a constant throwback to the original chaos waters. These were scary places to them, right? So in the ancient mind, when they read this, they don't need to decide when did God create this stuff. They already realize he's about to take this non-existent stuff and do some creating. Is that weird? That just proves we're not like ancient Hebrews or Babylonians or Sumerians or Egyptians, right? Because to them it wasn't. So, God goes on his journey of creating, not just by making new stuff, but by separating. Here's a format. Day one, God makes light, but he doesn't just make light. He separates light and darkness, right? The separating is a creative act just as much as the forming. Day two, he separates the water in half. It says the water's above and the water's below. He just made two spaces with names, sky and ocean, right? That is an act of creation. Not just the making, the separating, the making a distinction. Day three, why does he create earth with plants? Find that curious? I think, oh man, you were about to say it. You're probably right there. I'll just I'll assume you're going to get it right. That's right, Kevin. You know, actually, I don't know this, but I can assume, based on what I've known from the ancient worldview, one, he's separating again, right? He's saying now we have ocean and we have land. But it's not uncreated land. It's not desert. It's not arid. It has life. It has purpose, right? And then after he's separated things out and created spaces, he starts filling them. Why is this important? Because if we go back a few slides, which I will... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. He's making forms, and he's filling them. Scoot, 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 scoot. There we go. So day four, he fills the dark space, and he fills the light space. He puts the sun in the light space, and the moon and the stars in the dark space. Day five, he fills the sky space with birds, and the ocean space with fish. And day six, he fills the land space. And I disagree with this guy. I don't think people are interpreted as animals. I think they're distinct because they get the breath of God and they're his image on, create, on, on earth. But God fills the land space. So it's forming and it's filling. All of that is just as creative as making. But the Bible is very clear that everything that is came from him. Does that make sense? So our minds should already be kind of blown by everything that the author is doing in the ancient context. But there's even more to Genesis than just this. It is also a narrative gut punch to every other ancient culture that would have heard this story. Why is that? Well, God is over the waters, not from them. It's like, whoa, hold on. Are you saying that your God is better than our God because he was over the chaos waters? Yes, we are. We're saying, we're saying exactly that. You know, are you saying that your God is superior to and even created all the stuff that was originally there? Yes, we're, we're actually saying exactly that. And then, not only that, but can you believe the obstinance of Yahweh? He doesn't even create a team. 
In the ancient world, they operated in like semi-functional bickering teams of gods, right? I mean, you, you can like read the ancient manuscripts and it's like one big long committee meeting. I saw a cup that said, I survived another meeting that should have been an email. Like, we see this even in the ancient texts, right? It's like, <laughs> so, like, Yahweh doesn't do that. He does everything by himself, right? And then, oh my gosh, where did they just come from? These are the books of Moses, right? And there's debate over who wrote them, but for my money, I say Moses wrote them. Do you know why I think that? Because Moses was raised in Pharaoh's palace. He would have been educated. And he had a whole lot of time. <laughs> think about it. 40 years is a long time. So yeah, I think when you're wandering around the desert with no place to go and nothing to do except literally wait for people to die, you're right. That might be good for you. So, just saying, God creates light Hold on. Without making the sun first. They just came out of Egypt. Ra was the sun god. He was like the big deal. Like Pharaoh was supposed to be the incarnation of Ra. Yahweh doesn't even need Ra to make light. Ouch. And then we have the fact that the sun and the moon were deities in like every ancient culture. In Genesis, they don't even get named. Lest you think God somehow created another deity. He calls the sun the big light and the moon the little light. Guys, that's a hilarious jab. That is like ancient trolling. Do you understand that? <laughs> so, and then we have all these other creation myths that we, that we found and that really scholarly nerds have translated. And we've discovered that these are like the die-hard action movies of the ancient world. These were the entertainment, right? It's like, how did things get created? Well, we had a hero god that fought the villain god of Tiamat, the chaos dragon in Babylonian culture, taken on by Marduk, the hero who commands the wind. And do you know why Marduk fought Tiamat, the chaos dragon? Because all the other pansy gods were like, oh, Marduk, if you save us from the chaos dragon, you can lead us. And he was like, hold my ancient Babylonian brew and watch this, right? <laughs> and then battle is enjoined, and he like cuts Tiamat up with his wind, and then he makes creation out of, out of the carcass of the God that he just defeated. Not only does Yahweh not use anything except his word, there is no battle. And if the chaos waters represent the chaos dragon, which they did, do you realize he talks to it and it moves? It's like, I'm going to create land here, chaos water. Can you scooch? And it scooches. So if you're like an ancient Babylonian, you're like, whoa, this is just not com computing at all. And then, of course, he forms mankind with zero health either. If you read, I'm only really familiar a little tiny bit with the Babylonian stuff, because that's what we had to read. They had, like, multiple committee meetings, like, gosh, we're really tired of working. Like, what should we do? Let's create a race of beings called people that can do our work for us. That's a good idea. Who's going to do it? You know, and they take six boats and draw straws, and Yahweh just does it. And he does it with no materials except the ground that he also previously made. He is awesome. And that is the point. He's over the water, not under the water. He doesn't need a team. He doesn't need help. There is no competition. The first readers of Genesis would have gotten this loud and clear. It's just, this is a cool quote saying, hey, it's a polemic against the Egyptian gods. But we just talked about that, so we're skipping that. The foundation is indeed important. But is the foundation six literal days in this text? Would it have been when it was originally read? And I think not. I think the foundation of the story, the main point, would have been that Yahweh is supreme. 
and that Yahweh has no rivals. No one is even close, and he did it all by himself. That is the main point. So, can you be a young earth creationist? Yes, bless you. You're not dumb. Trees and millions of years of rock, whales on mountains. That's enough for me. Knock yourself out. And if you haven't ever gotten into it, maybe you should. You might actually like it. And that weird Australian Ken Ham, he might actually convince you. Who knows? And that's not wrong. But we do need to have some humility, no matter what our view is. Because the Bible does not make that the main point. Does that make sense? Alright. Here's the bottom line. This is from an intro to the Old Testament. And I think it's worth quoting here at length. It is shocking to observe, in light of recent arguments, how little the text is concerned with the process of creation. The description of creation in these chapters does not allow us to be dogmatic over such questions as the length of time and the order of God's creative process. It guards against a mythological interpretation. The text is definitely meant to be read as history. Okay? You're not supposed to say, oh, that's just fancy. But the theme of Genesis 1 and 2 is not how God created, that should be capitalized, but that he created. Okay. So at this point, I'll go on a mini rabbit trail about evolution. This is going to be the shortest talk on evolution you've ever heard in your life. Here's what you can't believe. I don't think it make any good sense. Even non-Christians have come to a point where like, I cannot believe this. That life spontaneously arose by accident on stuff that came from nowhere and then improved into immensely complicated organism of tons of immensely complicated organisms through blind, random chance. That is crazy. Okay? But can you be a Christian and believe in evolution? Yeah, you can. Do I think that that's half crazy? Um, I wouldn't say half, maybe a third, but I can tell you <laughs> that there are people who are smarter than me that do. And here's the best argument I ever heard for it, and I'm, I'm not going to quote who said it, but they're in this room. He said, I believe in evolution because God loves process. And I had to step back and be like, he does love process. That's nuts. I've never thought about it like that before. But if you believe that God is slowly bringing multiple creatures into existence by his will, by his creative action, saying, now let's have this, now let's have this, now let's have this, pun intended, that's a totally different animal than Darwinian evolution, is it not? That is just a longer creative process. Hey, you want to believe that? I'll see you in heaven. We can chat there when we know the answer. Does that sound good? Okay. Be a young earther. Awesome. Knock yourself out. You study those polonium halos, man. You know? If you don't believe in young earth, don't make fun of the people that do. Let's all be humble. But the bottom line is that six days or not six days is not where our faith rests. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 what the foundation of the faith is, and that is Jesus. We talked last week about the reality of the historical Jesus. If you didn't listen, I recommend getting it because it's just good to hear. But guys, let's not argue about Genesis. Let's focus on Jesus. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Here's your mind to close. Awesome. So I love that everything with creation just
and just soak that in. So God, I just thank you so much. Oh yeah, that you um, you turn our hearts in awe to you. That regardless of the exact details of what we believe in Genesis, God, that we can just stand in awe of you. That you are Creator. Yeah, God, I just thank you that you bring us to a new um, level of revelation about what you being Creator means. But God, ultimately, it just points to Jesus. And so I pray now that for any of us who it's on our hearts either surrender to a deeper level to Jesus or surrender to him for the first time, that God, you lead us in that. You walk us through that. So we thank you for the revelation we've received today and just in connecting with you and each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.